the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. They had no grounds to boast about anything because whatever they had, they received from God. Pure grace. Nothing belonged to them. They were not innately superior to others. And folks, that's true of all of us. True of all of us. We really are nothing. That might affect your self-esteem, but that's what the Bible says. There are lots of stories about how Texans like to brag. Like the rancher who was boasting to his friend visiting from Georgia, he told his guest, Texas ranches are huge. In fact, it takes me two days to drive from one side of my spread to the other. Well, his friend from Georgia responded, yeah, I had a truck like that once too. (laughs) But you know, when we stop to think about Christ and all his glory, we really do not have any reason to boast, do we? Except in what Christ has done. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is the radio version of his expository preaching ministry at Lakeside. We're glad you could be here today as Pastor Steve continues his series from Galatians chapter 6 about the practical results of true spirituality. One of those practical results is that spiritual believers serve each other. Listen now as Pastor Steve explains. So the first way that Paul teaches that spiritual believers serve one another is that they restore those who have fallen into sin. But Paul moves on in the next few verses to give a second way that spiritual believers serve each other, which we touched upon last week, but we really didn't complete. Spiritual believers not only restore those who have fallen into sin, but secondly, Paul says, they bear one another's burdens. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, although it is a broad biblical New Testament truth, and principle that we are to help carry the load of any believer who is weighed down with any kind of care, all kinds of care, regardless of what those cares might be. It would appear that what Paul has in mind here is bearing the burdens of those who are, who are in the process of being restored back to fellowship. In other words, we are to help struggling, repentant believers with any burdens they might have that's related to the sin that they're trying to overcome which could be anything. It could be anything from feelings of guilt that for what they've done in the past to a burden of remorse over their sin to ongoing temptation to fall back into the same sin again and on and on it goes. Whatever might be related to their sin, we are to help them by coming alongside of them and encouraging them. Whatever the struggles might be, this ministry of bearing One another's burdens is very important. It involves coming alongside of someone who is weighed down like this with heavy things in their lives, and we help them to carry those heavy burdens because they're just too weighty for one person. 
That's why God has given the body of Christ to help. And, and we carry these burdens by doing very practical things. Practical things, such as praying for them. If you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, mean it. Do it. Pray with them. Give them biblical advice and counsel. And I, and I don't mean by that that you have to be in a room and be a professional counselor. I mean, tell them the truth of the word of God because you know that they are being deceived by Satan. Satan will whisper in their hearts, how can God love somebody like you? How could he forgive you after what you've done? How could you possibly go back to that church after you sinned like you did? That's all satanic deception. So we come alongside of people and we give them the truth. We give them the truth of God's word that God does love you. That God accepts you back. We tell them the truth. We also hold them accountable so that they, it makes it more difficult for them to fall back in that sin again since they would be terribly embarrassed to have to admit to you that they sin like that. We give them reassurance, as I said, of God's love, of complete forgiveness in Christ. We once again go over the cross and what the, what the gospel really is. And we do anything else we can to help them in, this, in the burdens that they're bearing concerning the struggles with their sin. Now, this is how, Paul says, a spiritual believer treats a brother or sister in Christ who has fallen into sin and has been restored or is in the process of being restored. We don't shun them. We don't ignore them. We welcome them back into the fold, into our fellowship, and we do everything we possibly can to help them get reestablished in their relationship with Christ and the people of their church. And we do this simply because we love them. No ulterior motives. We love them since as followers of Christ, we are committed to obeying the principle of love that Jesus taught us, that we are to love one another, he said, as I have loved you. This is, as Paul calls it here in Galatians 6.2, this is the law of Christ. The law, the principle of love that he set down, it's the law of loving others in a sacrificial, self-giving way. And when we obey this law of love, we are actually fulfilling the very Mosaic law because the Mosaic law, as Paul said in Galatians 5.14, summed up in these words, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. So you love one another. You help them carry your burdens. You fulfill the law of Christ. You, you fulfill, in summary form, the Mosaic law. Now, folks, this ministry of bearing one another's burdens is terribly important because we all struggle with sin. We all need one another to help us. It's something that all of us should be involved in because this ministry of compassionate burden bearing, it does reflect the heart of God. Jesus came not to condemn but to help people, to help them be restored through repentance. And it's something that comes naturally to a Christian who is walking by the Spirit because when we walk by the Spirit, we think of others. We put them ahead of ourselves. We care about their spiritual welfare. And that's why Martin Luther, the reformer, said Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones sturdy enough to carry heavy burdens. Sadly, though, here's reality. Sadly, though, there are many Christians who are not interested at all in bearing the burdens of of someone who has fallen into sin and is now struggling to get reestablished in their walk with Christ. There are some Christians who are just not willing to be patient and to help others who struggle. Now, if that's true of you, there is a reason for your wrong attitude. Not only does this prove that you are, you are not walking 
in the spirit, and therefore you are too consumed with yourself to be interested in others. But I can tell you exactly what the source of your problem is. In other words, I can tell you what is holding you back from helping a brother or sister struggle who's struggling with the sin problem. And I can tell you this not because I'm particularly bright, but because I read ahead. I read in verse 3 what Paul said, because Paul spells out the reason in verse 3 for this lack of loving compassion toward a fellow Christian who's loaded down with sin-related burdens. Now, this is where we left off last week, because I threw out a little teaser to you to come back and find out why someone would refuse to bear the burdens of another. Well, Paul tells us why in verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Now, these words by Paul sound very similar, do they not, to what the veteran missionary said to the new missionary? You are nothing, take it by faith. But the question is, what does Paul mean by this statement? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What is the apostle talking about? And why would he say something like this here? Because frankly, at first glance, this sounds somewhat out of place, disconnected, unrelated to what Paul's been talking about concerning bearing the burdens of those who are being restored to the Lord. However, it's not out of place. It's not disconnected. It is, it is directly related to what Paul has been telling the Galatians. Listen closely. What the apostle is saying is that the only reason a Christian isn't willing to help and restore and bear the burdens of those who are struggling with sin is because he thinks that he's better than they are. Thinks that he's better. He's morally superior to this person, this Christian who's fallen into sin. That is to say, he considers himself above such people, above such things as carrying the sin burdens of those who have stumbled. In fact, he finds this work of carrying their burdens demeaning beneath his dignity. And he feels this way because he considers himself morally better than this fellow Christian who has been overpowered by temptation and sin. He feels this would never happen to him. He's incapable of falling into such a sin as this weak person did. And he has no interest in helping this stumbling man. Instead of assisting a struggling believer, his attitude says, as one Bible teacher suggested, he got himself into this mess, let him get get himself out of it. I'm not about to help him. It serves him right for what he did. Now, certainly, we need to Let unrepentant Christians face the consequences of their sin. We don't remove the consequences and make it easier for them. We let them face their consequences so they'll hopefully repent. But Paul is talking here about a fellow Christian who has repented. Not someone who hasn't. Someone who has repented and he wants to be fully restored to the Lord. But he's having difficulty. Having difficulty in this and he needs the help of his more spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we refuse to help him, it's wrong. It's because, Paul said, we think too highly of ourselves. That's why Paul writes, if anyone thinks like this, that he is something special, morally superior to other Christians and above falling into the same sin, that he has deceived himself because it's not like that at all. He isn't something special. He is absolutely nothing. Now look at verse 3 again. It's a profound verse. It's one that all of us should memorize, should meditate on. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. 
Now, this is pretty strong language from Paul. And some commentators have been taken, frankly, been taken aback that Paul would say this about the person who has not fallen into the sin. This is not the person who's being restored. This is the person who's supposed to do the restoring. That Paul would say, you're nothing? These commentators believe that Paul must have been exaggerating to make his, his point. But there's no reason to think that Paul was exaggerating or overstating his case to make a point. He, he wasn't at all. He said the truth without exaggeration. See, the truth of the matter is that the Bible teaches we really are nothing apart from the grace of God. Nothing. That's why the veteran missionary told the young guy, you are nothing, take it by faith. That's something that is true of all of us. What was said to that missionary could have been easily said to every one of us here. We are nothing. I love the way John Stott puts it when he wrote, the truth is that we are, we are not something, we are nothing. Is this an exaggeration, he writes? Not when the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see ourselves as we are, rebels against the God who made us in his image, deserving nothing at his hand but destruction. When we realize and remember this, we shall not compare ourselves favorably with other people, nor shall we decline to serve them or bear their burdens. Listen, we are nothing. Paul understood that. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Well, Paul's accusing the person of who refuses to bear the burdens of those who are struggling to overcome Sin is being delusional, delusional, out of touch with reality when it comes to evaluating himself. You see, this person has allowed his mind to think that somehow he's above it all. He's above others, that he's, that he's actually righteous, morally tougher than the one who has fallen into sin and needs his help. But that's pure fantasy, delusional, because the scriptures teach that though God loves us, He doesn't love us because there's something inherently good in us. He loves us in spite of the fact that there is no good that dwells in us, that we are fallen, depraved creatures. We have absolutely nothing good about us apart from what His grace in Christ has brought about in our lives. Paul says this quite clearly, by the way, in Romans chapter 3. Let's turn there. In Romans chapter 3, he, um, in fact, in Romans chapters 1 through 3, the apostle is putting the world on trial. And he is proving, like a prosecuting attorney, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he's got to deal with the self-righteous Jewish person who considered himself above the Gentiles. And so here's, here's where he deals with that in chapter 3. Of, of Romans. Notice this. He is teaching the Jewish people that they are no better than their pagan counterparts, the Gentiles. They are just as sinful. They, as, they are just as morally destitute as, non, as non-Jewish people. He starts off in verse 9. And what he says here, folks, about all Jewish and Gentile, that refers to us. We're in this category. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, What then? Are we better, we meaning we who are Jewish, are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged them that both Jews and Greeks, by Greeks he means Greek Gentiles, are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. He says not one of us understands about God, and we don't care. We're not seeking him. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. 
There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And this is why he concludes in verse 23, for all of sinning falls short of the glory of God. Folks, what Paul has described here, it's me and it's you. Apart from the transforming power of the gospel. There is nothing morally positive or good that we have apart from what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. But sometimes we have to be reminded of that, don't we? Sometimes we, we get swelled heads. We lose sight of this truth. We, we forget how depraved we really are. And then we wrongly conclude that we're better than other people. Every one of us can fall into this erroneous thinking that we're better than others. In fact, there was an entire church in the New Testament era that Paul had to rebuke because they thought they were better than others. I'm talking about the Corinthians. The Corinthians were very Greek people. The city of Corinth was a very Greek city, and these people thought, as Greeks, that they were better than barbarians, than others. And so they boasted. They thought they were better. Look at what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I love this verse. I, I have come back to this verse many times in my own life, and I would encourage you to to meditate on this. It's a profound verse and will always bring you back to the truth about yourself. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul writes, who regards you as superior? He might as well have said, other than you. Who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Listen what what Paul is saying. The Corinthians were a boastful people, looking down upon others, thinking they were superior to others. But Paul challenges them by reminding them that they had no reason to boast about anything because they didn't possess anything inherently. Nothing was because of their natural uh, abilities. Everything is a gift from God, everything. Perhaps they thought they, were, they had greater knowledge than others. They did know more philosophy, and they probably knew more Bible than a lot of people. Perhaps they thought they were more intelligent than others. They were in a cosmopolitan, progressive city. Perhaps they thought they were, they were more intelligent than others. We know that they thought they had superior gifts because Paul addresses that in chapters 12, 13, and 14. They apparently felt they had greater abilities to minister than others. Whatever they thought they were better, that they had more than others, Paul said it only came as a gift. You have nothing by way of any natural superiority. In other words, they had no grounds to boast about anything because whatever they had, they received from God. Pure grace. Nothing belonged to them. They were not innately superior to others. And folks, that's true of all of us. True of all of us. We really are nothing. That might affect your self-esteem, but that's what the Bible says. We possess Nothing that's any good apart from what God has given us in Christ. Now, recognize that if you don't want to help a struggling believer deal with sin in in their life, it's because you have allowed yourself 
to be deceived into thinking that you are spiritually above that person, that you're better than he or she is, and you would never fall into that sin. That's just an attitude of self-righteous pride that mistakenly believes you could never fall into something that bad. That's wrong. You and I can fall into anything even worse than whatever this person we're trying to restore. D.L. Moody, who was the greatest evangelist of his day, lived about a little over 100 years ago. The school that Michelle and I went to is named after him, Moody Bible Institute. D.L. Moody one day in the city of Chicago saw a, a drunk person lying on the streets of Chicago. And he made this comment that somebody recorded. He said, except for the grace of God, there lies D.L. Moody. Folks, that's true of all of us. When you see someone who's in sin, your attitude should be, except for the grace of God, that's me, or worse. Now, if that's true of your self-righteous pride, thinking that you are better than others, you should be aware of two things, two issues that pertain to self-righteous pride. Number one, you need to know that God hates sinful pride. Now, it's true he hates all sin, but he specifically hates this sin in particular, because, and we know that because he mentions it several times in his word, especially in Proverbs. In Proverbs, for example, chapter 6, starting at verse 16, we read this. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Now, you may wonder, why does he mention six? Then he goes to seven. That's just the Hebrew way of poetry. That's how the Hebrew poets did it. Six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination. And notice the first thing he mentions, haughty eyes. Then he speaks of a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and so forth. Haughty eyes means eyes that look down on others. Eyes that are condescending. Eyes that think that you're above other people. Specifically, Proverbs 16.5 is even more direct. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. Pride is a serious sin. Now, let me say, I understand that every believer, every believer should be aware that they struggle with pride. We're not talking about someone who struggles with pride. We're talking about someone who's not even aware of it. Someone who has it, it's so blatant, and he or she doesn't see it. And that brings me to the second issue that's related to self-righteousness. It's that the sin of pride is not always easy to detect in ourselves. It's easy to detect in other people. In fact, we love to, to detect it in other people. It's obvious to us when we see someone else who's lifted up with pride, but we often don't see it in ourselves. But there is a way to find out if you have this problem with pride and self-righteousness. And I'm not talking about you're always repenting of it. I'm talking about you have a problem that you don't see. There is a way to, to know if that is a problem in your life. It's to consider what you say about yourself, how you talk about yourself. You see, those who have a problem with pride tend to give it away by boasting about themselves and their accomplishments. When they hear the hymn, How Great Thou Art, they think it's about them. That's the kind of person. They love to tell others how great they are. As our friend Rick Holland often says, those who are proud are always the heroes of their own stories. They promote themselves. And why is it that it comes out in their talk? Because out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. That's how you know if you've got a serious problem with with pride. 
D.L. Moody said it briefly and succinctly. He said, be humble or you'll stumble. That's good advice when we're tempted to toot our own horns, isn't it? Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the practical results of true spirituality in a series of lessons from Galatians chapter 6. If you'd like to visit Lakeside some Sunday, I know you'll be welcome, and Pastor Steve would enjoy meeting you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, and the phone number is 727-441-1714 if you have questions. Or learn more about Lakeside online at lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside, but we have our own website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen to all of our previous broadcasts there, as well as make a gift to help support Verse by Verse if the Lord's leading you to do that. We're thankful for generous listeners like you who make these programs possible. This is Jerry Peterson. There's a huge danger, you know, in comparing ourselves to others. We're liable to either think less of ourselves or more of ourselves than we should. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will help us see what the Bible says we should think of ourselves. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by Verse Talk 570. W. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.